Welcome to the Delphi Auto Parts Cast. Dave Hobbs here with you as your host for a little bit of talking about tools and technology. I call it fails and fixes, uh, the tools and technologies that we're using today in diagnostics and what we're not using, we should be using, and what will be coming down the road in the future. Um, for, for right now, the main thing for diagnostics in, in the real world, you know, aside from the scan tool, we'll get into that later, uh, the digital multimeter you know, or DVOM, whatever you want to call it, and amp clamps. You know, those are out there. They've been out there forever. And unfortunately, a lot of technicians um, really need to, to bone up and get better at the advanced parts of your meter using the mid-max functions, using uh, the meter for proper voltage drops. Amazing how many people will demonstrate for me in a live class uh, how we do a voltage drop, and it's like three different ways or five different ways, and there's really only a couple of ways that work best. So these are things we actually are remedial, I'll say, that should be mastered like knowing the back of your hand and not necessarily are happening. And for example, practical application, look at the fuel pump current draw. You know, if it's extremely low, you know, is it because it's a mechanical or electrical problem? Well, if it's a voltage drop, it's going to have extremely low current draw or no current draw, possibly even. Uh, but it also could be a lack of fuel getting into the pump. So a strainer in the tank is plugged up and we're cavitating. And without a good flow of fuel, we really can't get much current on an amp clamp. Too much current could be an excessive amount of restriction ahead of the pump or a pump failing. So using an amp clamp, knowing how to use it, knowing how to get into the fuel pump circuit and do that, essential things for today. And unfortunately, uh, the average technician will struggle with this in my assessment when I get out there in the field doing live training. Uh, but the higher end ones, and chances are if you're watching training on this podcast, you're one of those, you have mastered this. But coming down the road, for a lot of technicians, been in your portfolio of diagnostic tools for years, but a must-have for tomorrow would be the digital oscilloscope, the digital storage oscilloscope, DSO, or LabScope, as a lot of folks call it. So looking at the current uh, waveform of a fuel pump called current ramping, looking at the current draw uh, and the ramping up of an ignition coil tells a lot about the story of what that component's doing and how it's working the circuit and the health of the circuit. So do you have to have a really high end like this the picture uh, we see here if you're watching this on a, uh, a viewed podcast? Do you need a $8,000 or $5,000 scope? Well, those are great, you know, two time bases and eight channels. But you can get by with, chances are, the scan tool you have now may have a scope feature built into it. A lot of them do. So, you know, unpack those leads from the shrink wrap and, and get on, just basically get online and Google remedial scopes or just digital oscilloscopes how to and and get scoping it's not a matter of with how easy it is right now just when you get some spare time if you have a passion for the industry you're going to do a little training on your own so get the scope out you have and start getting better at it because you're going to need it for things like active wheel speed sensors which have been out for years and a lot of data bus diagnostics only can use a scope on that at times uh, and you don't have to spend an enormous amount of money if you don't have a scope built into your scanner. Some of these little handheld single channel scopes are out there for a couple hundred bucks. So look into that as well. Also, scan tools for today and the future. Of course, we're used to the handheld stuff. Uh, if you can see this, there's, you know, I've got Snap-on, OTC, and Autel, and the list is, you know, pretty lengthy. Uh, launch and so forth. Good companies making good handheld 
they do have PC capabilities, most of them today, but they're not true PCs. The real future, where we're seeing now with most all OEM tools, in fact, all that I know of, are using a laptop. Now, in this case, I don't have a PC-based factory tool. I've got a J2534 universal pass-through. So if you've got a J tool, the J2534, um, most of them are pretty compliant with the manufacturers who have, at this point in time, allowed the aftermarket to download software to their laptop that not only uh, will allow you to flash modules, which is the J2534's main intention, but also to use that interface, that pass-through between the vehicle and your computer as the scan tool. So the software actually for the scan tool from Toyota called TechStream or for General Motors called GDS2 and so forth, those vehicles will allow you to download software and make your laptop essentially a factory scan tool. So the configurations and the relearns that sometimes can be difficult for some aftermarket scanners to master all makes and models and do it, you know, do it with some degree of, of uh, reliability. Not to mention some of the data pins that you won't see defined or even there on a lot of the OE level aftermarket tools. Those are all there with the factory tool. So the J2534 for about five or six cars right now makes it, OEM makes I should say, is the factory tool. And we are looking at that being possibly a standard going forward as the Right to Repair Act uh, comes into uh, basically in the next year or two making all manufacturers pretty much go with this approach where a J2534 is the interface and they provide the software on some sort of a subscription rental basis. And finally, there's some companies popping up here and there. I've been to some trade shows and seen some interesting companies popping up and giving a patented tool, which isn't really necessarily a J2534, but it connects to the DLC and allows a technician on the other end of the, the network, if you will, somebody in some call center somewhere, to uh, dial into your car like a remote login, like you have an IT person across the country looking at your computer to doing you IT support. They're doing that with the car. And they have the factory scan tool. They have the, uh, the GM MDI. They have the Toyota TechStream and the, the, uh, the Chrysler uh, uh, YTAC or whatever. They have that factory tool for not only scanning, but also flashing and all the other things that kind of fall in between. I want to touch on a moment about selling diagnostics. A lot of shops I run into when I'm out doing live training they, they typically tell their customer, well, we have a minimum charge of an hour, a half hour, whatever, and maybe they shorten the word diagnostics to diags, and the customer's just kind of lost. Sometimes that word diagnostics anyways gets muddied up by the fact that some parts stores or brother-in-laws, you know, the story where they have that, that piece of computerized test equipment in the customer's eyes, that's what it is, but you and I might call it a code reader. So we know that only has taken a small snapshot of what's going on on the OBD2 side of the car. There's so much to the vehicle, more to the vehicle than just that, and so much more to OBD2 than what a code reader can read. So what we want to do is not only combat the code reader uh, customer objection to selling diagnostics, we want to maybe rephrase the word diagnostics and call it testing. When you go to a physician, the physician says, I need to send you out for some tests. Take, go to the hospital or the lab and get some blood work, maybe get an x-ray or an MR, M, MRI. Those kind of things is what the doctor tells us to do. 
And typically you get some kind of an order form. You get something you take with you to that lab. Well, in this case, we can use the same approach, have something tangible, things that are tangible, touchy-feely. Customers are more inclined to spend money on that than something that's kind of a dark, mysterious concept, like a half hour for Diags. So worksheets, similar to what you'd find in vocational textbooks, where you have the regular textbook, then you have another book that's these worksheets. You go out in the lab, out in the shop at your vocational school, and maybe one's on fuel systems. And everybody that does fuel system work knows that, you know, one of the easiest things to do with a fuel system test is check for codes. Do I have a lean, rich codes, and so forth? Then maybe look at fuel trims. And then to get a little more intrusive, you might actually pop a fuel line loose, take a sample of the fuel, look for cloudiness, look for the presence of alcohol with a little bit of water mixed in with the fuel to do an alcohol content test, and then look at pressure with a pressure gauge or even volume as well. All those things can be described in a one-page document with blanks open for your technician to fill in the results. So as a service advisor, as you sell something tangible, in this case, for example, a, a fuel system test, or as we see in the illustration, a mechanical engine analysis, where we look at uh, the number of, you know, the PSI for each cylinder in a compression test. Those kind of worksheets can help you sell the job. And then when the technician fills it out, does the compression or the mechanical engine assessment, does the fuel system test, has the fuel trim numbers, has the pressure number, has the alcohol content recorded, not only does it give you consistency of we're doing a thorough diagnostic job with each vehicle and each subsection, we have something we can show the customer. And it's just like us, the customer, chances are, is not going to understand what in the world fuel trim is, even any more than I would understand the difference between the good cholesterol acronym and a bad cholesterol acronym if my doctor went over my blood test with me. But the fact my doctor would go over my test tells me a lot about his or hers desire to keep me up to speed and what's going on with my health. And the same thing, you can do that with your customer. So that breathes a lot of tangible value into what you're selling in the world of testing. So you can't do diagnostics if you can't sell it. Now, let's talk about the USP. USP stands for unique selling point. So what is the unique selling point of your shop when you try to win over a occasional client into a lifetime customer? Well, in this picture, and this is kind of a worst case scenario, what you can't see here if you're just listening, is this a technician working in, it's a professional shop, working on a fairly late model car and they're doing AC work. They got the gauges hooked, you know, and it's hanging from the hood hinge, uh, hood latch. And they've got a can of a uh, 30 pound can of our 134A just sitting on a stool, not even a scale. They're just adding it until I guess the gauges get just right. And we know that's crazy. You know, you need a gauge set and you need an RRR machine. But a lot of customers don't even know what that is. They think R&R &R is just an extra R, just one, maybe a little, little bit more time on vacation, right? R, R, and R. But actually, what we need to educate customers on is our machine, our RRR machine, if it is J2788 compliant, that's a big selling point. And I will tell you this with authority of my own personal experience in hundreds of shops looking at their machines. Most of them do not have the latest 2788 standard. They may have an old machine with an older standard, which works fine even today, as long as the vehicle has a large capacity refrigerant system. 
But if you have less than a pound and a half, as most new cars have that or much less, some of even less than one pound for total capacity, the 2788 SAE standard is what you need to service accurately air conditioning on today's vehicles. So to articulate that to your customer and basically say, our standard of our, our newer machine built in the last three or four years is so much value to your vehicle, ma'am, sir, because most of our competitors, and I can say that with authority, and you can too, do not have the latest standard, don't have the 2788. So I encourage you to Google that and see what all those standards are, but basically it's far more accurate for the smaller capacity systems. You don't want to have an extra couple of ounces in a system that only holds 11 ounces. That can be either um, reduced longevity of the compressor or at the very least reduce efficiency of the system too much refrigerant too little they're both the same they're not good for business or the car the, the owner's uh, comfort moving on back to the code reader dilemma where a lot of our great and beloved suppliers do this because well all the other supplier part suppliers do it on the retail market for the do-it-yourselfers so how you can convince your customer that your equipment that you paid a lot more money for and therefore you need paid to use it, is so much more superior than that, that tool that chances are just pulled the code of the vehicle before the customer came in with it to your shop. Well, equate the code reader to a compass. A compass just gives you a general direction of where you're headed. It doesn't really tell you or pinpoint where you are. What you have with your full OE level or true factory scan tool, you have the equivalent of a GPS which pinpoints problems much more accurately and quickly and reliably than more cruder methods like a compass. In this case, comparing a full service scan tool to the code reader. For customers that don't understand what a GPS is, and a lot of older folks don't, relate to them medically. Most older folks have been to a doctor a few more times than the young folks, and so they know an x-ray from an MRI. And so compare the code reader to a simple x-ray. It's a valid test. It's nothing to be disrespected. Everybody needs an x-ray occasionally. But the x-ray won't tell you that much other than you got a broken bone, typically. What you have in your arsenal of diagnostic tools, your scan tools, your reflash tools, your lab scopes, your smoke machines, even your chemical analysis tools like pH strips for cooling systems and your refractometer for looking at coolant and death on diesels, you name it, your arsenal of diagnostic tools is similar to what a full-service hospital, like a university hospital, the Mayo Clinic or whatever, would have. So MRIs, CAT scans, ultrasounds, and of course the lab and the x-rays, you have it all. So basically equate your equipment to a full hospital's diagnostic uh, abilities and that gives some value to what you have. Other than to say we have the latest and greatest equipment, be a little bit more specific and use analogies. Sometimes that will help. But above all, remember the quote of the day here for this, this partscast is uh, something from a long time ago, and it sure stands true. No matter how much you know, it's all about if people know you care. The quote is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that was said by the same guy that said, walk soft and carry a big stick, President Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. So remember that above all, let people know you care a lot, show that in your actions in your shop, and then whip it out. You know, we have a lot of information, we have a lot of technology, 
we can fix your car better than the shop down the street and tell them why. They got to really know you care first before they listen about the why. Now, the best investment you can make in anything for return on investment is not necessarily that tool, that flasher, that scope, uh, the remote dial-in programmers and so forth. The best investment, even better than advertising, which typically returns you about $1.30 for every dollar you spend in advertising, the best investment is training. For about every dollar you spend in training, you'll get $30 back in the long run. So that is an awesome return on investment. So that's what we want to find, wind out with here today. It's one last thing here. Once you think about thinking outside the box with tools. Now, for many, many years, there have been scan tools that have been re-engineered and repurposed for other things they really wasn't designed for to begin with. Let me give you the prime example. Uh, I have an illustration of an old uh, OTC uh, Vtronics Master Tech. This is like the old monochrome screen that uh, was like a Tech 2 replacement at one time or Tech 1 replacement. A lot of shops still have that tool. That's where Mode 6 was discovered. It was basically pressing two buttons at the same time on this handheld scanner. This is like 10, 15 years ago. And they discovered, they as in the technicians that were using this tool, discovered that these, these lines of data would pop up. And the lines of data were not normal like TPS, 3.5 volts, RPMs, 650. The lines of data began with a dollar sign and then an alphanumerical uh, set of numbers like B1 or 15 or C5. And what that was, it was written in hexadecimal. Hexadecimal is an engineering language for software engineers, proving that this feature called Mode 6, with a lot of techs listening today, you know what I'm talking about. Mode 6 was designed by engineers for other engineers. It wasn't until technicians kind of reverse engineered that function of the scan tool where they discovered that, you know what, this shows us so much more information than a freeze frame. A freeze frame, you know, when a code either sets and turns the mill on or stores as a pending code some information about that code that's getting ready to turn the mill on and the RPMs and the throttle and the coolant at that moment in time when the computer saw a problem. It tells us what the computer was testing with the Kelly converter efficiency, with the EVAP system. Was it looking for a leak and found a leak or was it looking for a restriction? and seeing too much vacuum in the EVAP system. All those, those caveats of the non-continuous OBD2 monitors, when the monitor is run, is stored in what we call mode six. On some scan tools, it's called OBD2 test results. But whatever it is, I just want you to think about the history of it. It started out as something completely different and manufacturers of scan tools in the recent years have made it more user-friendly. They put it in common English, got rid of the hexadecimal software mumbo jumbo, even color-coded it. So if it's like red, you failed that particular monitor. If it's green, you pass with flying colors. If it's yellow, you almost failed. Yellow results colored in yellow, almost failed, a monitor, will never set the mill, but they will trigger your thought process to say, well, Murphy's Law says after I put these O2 sensors on and I run all the monitors, including the cat monitor, and I see a cat monitor mode six test ID in yellow, it's almost failed, 
I may have a cat on its way out, and now with two fresh O2 sensors, about the time that customer's check clears after a O2 sensor replacement and the job's been billed and paid, a week or two later, they come back and say, my mill's on again. That stands for misery indicator light for them, but it's money indicator light for us. Actually, it's malfunction indicator light, be precise. But you get the drift. We don't want them coming back in because that's really kind of a misery indicator light for us if we've already fixed the car once and it's back for the same thing. They think it's the same thing. We know it's something different. It's a bad cat. We fixed the O2s. All they see is the same light and they paid you money. So to find problems before they come back, the insurance policy is mode six. So that's one of those re-engineered things or repurposed things in the world of diagnostics. Now, a lot of us have uh, those digital pyrometers, those ones that are non-contact. You will shoot a little laser beam at something. You get the temperature feedback. Nowadays, uh, we have even something better than that. We have thermal imagers. Now, thermal imagers, if you think about how they've been repurposed over the years, fire departments and high-end electricians for like manufacturers you know, like for big in industry, we're using thermal imagers that were the size of a suitcase and they cost $20,000. They have been shrunk down to handheld units like we see here in this illustration where you just point it, kind of like one of those digital laser uh, parameters, but it gives you a picture of the heat image of whatever you're looking at. So looking at a misfire and looking at the exhaust manifold and seeing one of those looks cold by the color of the temperature from our thermal imager or looking at a shock absorber to see it compared to the others after you take a test drive on a bumpy road, looking at a, at a block passage in a radiator or condenser in an AC system, even looking at things like evaporator, I'm sorry, uh, evap system, uh, charcoal canisters after you do a refuel, if that's not showing a thermal imaging footprint, making, make, meaning it's actually heating up as the process of the charcoal absorbing the fuel vapors, if you don't see that, it's not working. And finally, you can point it at fuse panels and see which fuse is actually staying live and currents going through it if you have a parasitic current draw problem that's very intermittent, the thermal imager is good for that. You can buy them at big box stores even that will hook Bluetooth to your smartphone and do the same thing. So thinking outside the box with things that maybe come on the scene in recent years, they were expensive at one point in time. Another example is the uh, articulating borescopes. A lot of shops have borescopes now where you pull the spark plug out, but you can't get it to bend around and see the valves to see if the carbon deposits are getting bad on that GDI vehicle. Well, a lot of the newer repurposed medical grade uh, 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 <clears throat> borescopes, or in this case, it'd be called just a scope or a uh, endoscopy or something like that, use the medical profession, they've been re-engineered, repurposed for the auto, rep auto repair business. And finally, thinking outside the box with factory scan tools. We know the factory scan tools rock. They really will do a lot of stuff that some aftermarket tools struggle with, but nobody can afford them all. What if you had a network, or you might say a co-op, of like five or six other shops in your area? Maybe you're not tied together officially as like a chain, like a fleet of shops, but you're kind of friendly competitors that go to the same training clinics. Why not have, uh, you can make it as formal as you want. You can have your attorney write up something, but one shop buys this factory tool, another shop buys that factory tool, and they agree to share these tools amongst the co-op in order to service about every make and model of car to the fullest degree that a factory tool will do without every shop having to buy every single one. 
So that's the last thing I want to leave you with is always think about ways you can think outside the box, stay up with technology, and keep diagnosing your customers' vehicles to the highest degree. So I want to thank you for watching this podcast. If you have any more questions, please feel free to hit us up with an email at delphi.podcast.com or at delphi.com, at delphi.podcast at delphi.com. Or for more information in general about parts from Delphi and training, it's delphiautoparts.com. So on behalf of Delphi and the Delphi Auto Parts Cast, I'm Dave Hobbs. Thanks for watching this podcast on diagnostic technologies for today and tomorrow fails and fixes. Hope you're having a lot more fixes and fails.